This is the official HITS training and consulting podcast. We are America's law enforcement canine training resource. We're raising the training bar for police dogs everywhere by discussing the intricate details of the training techniques used by the experts. HITS radio is merging the training world with the real world. You've been there. We've been there too. Welcome to Hits Radio. I'm your host, Jeff Meyer. I'm back with one of my Hits partners today. I have uh, Jeff Barrett on the line. And uh, Jeff and I were going to talk real quickly maybe about what's going on for uh, Hits 2021 in Orlando. Uh, see if Jeff's got any updates on that. Uh, we are back in, in business, hopefully uh, next year. Jeff's down in Florida and uh, has a better handle on what's going on. Hopefully we won't get the rug pulled out from underneath us again like we did this year and last year. Um, and then we're also going to talk a little bit about uh, retirement, both uh, retiring dogs and retiring uh, ourselves, which uh, Jeff is now a retired police officer, and he's also retired a bunch of dogs over his career. So I thought today would be just a good day to talk about all things retirement. So with that, uh, how are you doing today, Jeff? Doing pretty good, man. Doing pretty good. I'm excited about being retired. and Of course, I've still got a retired dog at home, so this is a perfect uh, topic to get into. Old guy's uh, pushing 12 next month and just does a lot of sleeping and laying around pretty much. Uh, uh, and an indoor dog now, which for the most part, he was uh, just a kennel dog outside for his career, but he slowed down a lot. So there's a lot to talk about in regards to how we have to sure. approach that. So just real quick for the, the listeners who maybe don't remember, recap of your career. I know you've worked a lot of dogs and had a lot of retired dogs. Yeah, I spent uh, over 33 years as a cop in Lakeland, Florida, and then uh, 31 and a half of those were with a leash in my hands. So I worked 10 dogs uh, throughout my career, so they were able to get a lot of experience and exposure to the different personalities and retiring dogs and um, just picking up a lot of different ideas of what to do with the dogs and you got to be very mindful of what you're doing and take into consideration what type of dog and the type of personality that you're working with there when you start to consider what's the next step for that dog uh you know do you do you allow somebody in the family like your in-laws to adopt the dog uh, a friend to adopt the dog somebody else to take the dog that's a very risky proposition to to take on because you're ultimately giving an unknown to a person that may not be able to handle that dog. And with, with some of the some of the dogs we get today with a lot of high drive energy, some wrong moves can be made and things can be misinterpreted by the dog that could result in a, a, an accidental dog bite, accidental dog fight, you know, dog getting out, yeah. hurting somebody. And, you just don't want that type of liability on yourself or uh, some family members. So you got to be very cautious in that. So if you're going to keep the dog, then, you know, what's your next step? Is it just going to be the only dog you have at home? Do you have other pets at home? How do you integrate that relationship with the other pets? Are you going to get another working dog to replace the one you're retiring? Yeah, exactly. And then how do you introduce those two dogs and, you know, what's that relationship going to look like? So some of these older dogs uh, that you're going to retire, just uh, they're knuckleheads, and then others are just yeah. very social animals that 
uh, come into the family life with ease. Those are the nice ones. Those are the easy ones. And so let me back up real quick on this. So before we get all the way into when once they've been retired, what over the years with all the dogs you have retired and then as a lead trainer for your unit for so long, you've had a lot of dogs go through your unit. What made your decision either with your own dogs or the the handles you're training, what made you start thinking, all right, this dog's got to retire? Some I know some departments have an arbitrary number like eight, which you know I don't really agree with. But for you, what when you started thinking, all right, this dog's got to retire, and we're going to get the handler another dog or get a whole new team here, looking just not at the handler side because that's a whole separate issue, but the dog side of it. What made you decide, all right, this dog needs to to retire? What were some of the things you looked at? Most of it is physical fitness. When you start to see some of the physical stuff start to decline, you start to see the the inability of the dog to perform yeah. like he should. You know, he starts to get a little arthritic. The back starts to be a problem, starts to limp a lot. You start to see some of those things, and you know that it's time. We really want to kind of push it uh, to the limit uh, in our minds, but sometimes that's the worst thing that can happen is, uh, we think that we got time, and sometimes we really sure. don't. So, you know, to start planning ahead is probably the best. You know, start trying to prepare that exit sure. uh, before it happens. The worst case for me was to abruptly have to retire the dog and then start frantically searching for one and feel like you're under the pressure yeah. to have to buy one. May not be the perfect fit, and they're like, hey, you need to get this dog. What's the holdup? And you're like, I'm trying to find one. I just can't find yeah. what I need. And then you almost feel like you have to settle for yeah. what's out there. And that's the worst case scenario. And then what happens is you wind up taking that one that's kind of on the fence line. Do I take it? Do I yeah. leave it? And you think I can make something out of it. And then you start working it. And we're so optimistic that we think we can work through some of these problems. And realistically, we wind up with a dog that. We either accept those problems and with his deficiencies, or we yeah, wind up yeah, sending it back, over. and then, then you, yeah, and then you have administrators going, "What in the world's yeah. going on here? Why did you send this back? And if you sent him back, why did it take you so long to make that decision?" And it's sometimes hard to explain. It may be easy to explain, but it's a hard yeah. pill for them to swallow when you start to do that. And the longer it takes, of course, the bigger the pill is for them to swallow. And you're like, man, I knew I shouldn't have took him to begin with, but I did because I felt yep. like I was under the gun. So it's it's it, it's kind of a rough mess. So if you start looking, and then on the other hand, when you start trying to prepare to look, you find that one that's like, yeah. wow, it just blows you away. You really want a dog. Sometimes if you don't have that relationship uh, with the vendor, they're not willing to hold that dog and wait on their money yeah. because they yeah. know that that dog's going to sit there. And, uh, you know, time is money for them. So... Uh, they they don't yeah. want to wait. So if you're too far out ahead of your uh, your plan trying to buy this dog, you just can't think that it's going to sit on the shelf for you. And uh, you can get it yeah. in three months. So on your training days, that's as a trainer, that's, you know, I know that's one of the things that's it's kind of a, maybe trainers don't talk about it a lot, but that should be a heavy responsibility that we always look at is kind of the condition of the dogs. And, and I, you know, as I like on a side note, you know, I'll pull guys aside and tell them brush their damn dog too, you know? So, I mean, just to make sure that, you know, that the dog's being well cared for. But when uh, you start seeing the dog start to decline as a trainer, sometimes we have a little bit 
we can step back a little ways and kind of look at the overall picture when you're looking right down the leash. And I've been guilty of it. No, no, he's fine. I can get another year out of him. You know, so I think that's kind of one of the looking at the big picture. What you're saying is kind of start eyeing a dog and thinking, all right, maybe we need to start preparing the handler that he's going to get a new dog and the agency needs to pony up some money and then start searching for a dog. Um, but you don't, as I mentioned, you don't yeah, use just an arbitrary number. You just look at the overall picture. So I, I assume you've had some dogs that had to retire young and some that probably went quite old. Yeah, a lot of my dogs have uh, abruptly just had injuries to their spine or some other medical issue that's caused the immediate uh, dismissal. But uh, the funny thing is, we're talking about having them evaluated at training I've seen some deficiencies in the dog or handlers have brought the dogs to me saying, man, I think it's getting time, you know, the performance of the dog the other night. And then I would look at the dog and go, wow, yeah, we need to take a look at this as a group on training day. You get to training day and the damn thing looks like sure. a million bucks. You're like, well, what in the world, you know? He just like recovered through it. You're like, okay, maybe he's just having a bad day or a bad week and, you know, he was feeling bad and now he's okay. And then he pushes through and you know, you give him a month, and then they yeah. start seeing it. So now that that exit strategy has to be there. And even if he retires a little early, so what? You know, you put the plan in place. You got the money appropriated. You're ready to pull the trigger when the time is right. You, I mean, I, I put a divider in the back of the truck so that I keep sure. the dog separate. I've dog up so that the old dog was yeah. ready to deploy if I had to leave. I, the worst thing that I hate to do is having to train one by myself. I've done it. Yeah. I don't like it. Uh, I like the help. I like the exposure to the other handlers and the exposure to the other dogs. Uh, that's best case scenario. If you had to train it by yourself, yeah. I get it. Sometimes you do. But, uh, you know, it, take your old dog to work so if something breaks loose and you have to leave yeah. school, leave the class, yeah. air business, you got a working dog there to do it. And then once he's ready to retire, that transition is really just seamless. So, you know, he doesn't come yeah, to work. I that really, day. I really like being able to do that because it takes all the pressure off the training because the agency still has the tool that they want of to retire your soon to be retired dog is still answering the call, still doing the work, and then you can take your time and and not uh, you know not have to hurry with your new dog and take a nice you know, a methodical transition into to working the new dog and training him and taking your time. So I, I really like that if you have the ability. Uh, one of the things I've seen some of the agencies do, if uh, they have like a either a dedicated trainer or maybe a trainer who's got a lot of time on that spends most of his time training, or I know like uh, some agencies, the supervisor is also the trainer, and maybe that person takes a dog and gets that dog all trained up and can spend the time doing it if they, you know, as either a second dog or their only dog they're working. And then when someone's ready for a dog, you just transition that dog right over, which I think that's a, if you have the luxury of working for a larger department, that's a great way to do it. Cause as a trainer, if you've had the dog for a while and then you give it to a new handler, you know the dog. So there's no excuses for the handler. Yeah. I like that idea a lot. We never did get to implement that process, but uh, it always appealed to me to have a dedicated trainer that was available to take the dog, work with it, get some foundational work imp uh, imprinted on the dog. And then you can make up your mind whether or not that dog should stay or go uh, just in the short amount of time that you're going to spend with it. And then you can bring in the handler. And I'm not talking 
bringing the dog up to yeah. full speed. I'm talking about just working to see any deficiencies that might be present uh, just from a foundational standpoint. And then bring the handler in, start working with him. I had to wash a handler out, you know, if the dogs were... At least you can kind of evaluate where the problem would be a little bit easier. That's right. So then your new training days, or I guess I would I would throw in that um, I think if I saw what you were saying, you saw that, that they were saying that on a search the dog didn't look too well, but then on training days, I would, I mean, I'm sure you'd probably agree there's probably a lot of, of effect there from, you know, you're at the training field, the dogs are around barking. I mean, certainly the adrenaline in the dog is going to carry him over, you know, any pain he has uh, on a training day because he's so used to that. So I'm sure maybe uh, then go out if the handler's telling you they're seeing something on a real search, then maybe leave your dog in the car and go out and just cover the handler directly and take a good look at the dog in the field and see what you see there. Because, I mean, I would think you'd see something different. Yeah, that's exactly what happens is the dog's adrenaline to, to go out and perform on a training day sometimes can be different. And we see that in healthy sure. dogs as well. You'll see a handler's comment that, you know, it looks like a million dollars on training day and you get him out in the field and uh, actual deployment and yeah. it's all different. It's just exposure at that point, but... Yeah, that, that concept and that idea certainly holds some merit when you're trying to evaluate whether or not the dog's uh, working through some pain and some aging. So then let's just talk about the decisions been made. You've got the new dog, and now here's the day, um, and you and I have both been through it. Here's the day where you're taking the new dog to work, and the old dog is going to stay behind. I always, like I've heard people say that they want to retire their dog early so he has a good retirement. I hate that day because I don't. They don't want to retire. They want to come to work. So, I've been there. I know you have too. What's a good way to start successfully transitioning? Assuming you're going to keep the dog, which I think most people do. Uh, what are some tips you have for a handler who's going to face this for the first time? That uh, you know they're going to have this retired dog at home when they're going to work. What are some things you've done over the years just to make it a little bit better for that dog while he's home? Yeah, I used to always try to have this conversation with the guys who are retiring their first dog of what they're going to do with the dog and how that's going to take place and just some things that's going to pop up uh, on those initial days. So um, it depends on how the housing is set up. So if the dog is an outside dog, it's a kennel dog, and he doesn't see you getting dressed and all the preparation for work. If he sees all that and he knows that it's time to go, they're going to be super excited about it. So if you do that in front of the old retired dog and then he's left behind, there's going to be a lot of anxiety. And you go lock him up and there's nobody around, you probably come home to a lot of damage in the house or a lot of damage to the kennel, depending on uh, what type of setup. You know, if it's just a wire crate, you're going to wind up with a dog that's probably breaking out of the kennel, some broken teeth, sure. depending on the sure. size of the dogs. Not always since that rule, but you know, you've just excited that dog to go to work and now you're taking another one. I can tell you from personal experience, uh, this old dog that I have here, uh, he went down suddenly with some issues and uh, I left him at home. And so he could run the house, but he never did. He was a crate dog that stayed in the crate. He was very disciplined to the crate. When I brought his replacement on, the first thing he did was he saw the dog in the backyard through the uh, the back glass through the slider uh, got out of the crate walked over grabbed one of my baseball caps <laughs> took it into the crate chewed it up you know, just sitting there shredding it watching this other dog in the backyard that was totally my fault I never expected it 
but I didn't. So I was like, I walked in, I saw my hat shredded. And I was like, total frustration. He wanted to be out. Yeah. He wanted to play. And, uh, you know, he grabbed that uh, hat. And, you know, it was, was 10 feet away in my office and uh, took it in there and was sitting there watching me with the other dog while he's doing nothing. And so I knew that at that point, there's no way that I could start uh, prepping for work in front of this dog and expect yeah. to leave uh, with that dog uh, frustrated like that. So uh, he was totally secluded whenever I would leave to go to work with a new dog. And uh, I I didn't even want to uh, try to socialize those, those two dogs at first because I didn't want either one of them hurt. Uh, later on, I did, but the exposure was very limited yeah. to begin with. Uh, the dog that I that I took on was kind of a problem child from another handler that needed my support, that didn't need his ass yeah. kicked up between his shoulders at that. And I didn't want to to be so overbearing with uh, an ass whipping over a dog fight when I didn't know the dog yeah. that well. Just a bad uh, start for our relationship. So. I didn't even engage in that. Just kept them apart uh, for a pretty good while. So I moved uh, the retired dog into a kennel that was outside in the shade and uh, managed to keep them apart. So he never knew yeah. when I went yeah. to work. So that reduced the stress. So it's important to to understand how this is going to play out. And I think if uh, the senior guys who have gone through this before have uh, the ability to sit down and talk to them, the guys who are going through it for the first time, give them that expectation. They're going to yeah. be appreciative of it because they're going to uh, something unexpected yeah. if you don't. And I'll get on my soapbox for a minute. I know you know I teach a, I've taught it at hits a few times, but I teach a class on dog on dog aggression. I can't tolerate uh, police dogs that are dog aggressive. And I know some of them it's genetic, but uh, even the ones that are over the years that I've dealt with that were you know genetically predisposed to being dog aggressive, I've had very good luck by at least uh, teaching them some some self control so they're not trying to attack every dog they see. And most of the dogs I've seen uh, and and done some exercises with, I've got them to be completely neutral to other dogs. And we would spend a lot of time when I was in patrol canine. Uh, we spent a ton of time doing that a lot because we searched everywhere off lead. And our dogs would bump into each other going in and out of a yard. Maybe we'd have an alley dog and the maybe coming out of the alley, we'd, they'd literally run into each other. So we didn't want to have dog fights when we were out doing uh, area searches. So, and then we did, when we didn't, um, I, I can't really think of a time we had any issues there because we spent so much time teaching the dogs that dog fighting was unacceptable. Man, that went a long ways uh, towards when I had to retire patrol dogs. When I get a new one home, over a period of time, I could easily have both my patrol dogs together laying, you know, in the living room watching a movie together and not having to keep them separate. And I know that's not for every dog and not for everybody, but the people I know that have had to keep their dogs separate all the time, that turns into a lot of work having to lock one dog up, get one out, vice versa, and keep doing it. So if if you uh, start early, I mean, I think it's a good thing anyway to not have any dog aggression issues. But by doing that throughout the dog's career, it's going to help you in the long run too when he retires. Yeah, I totally agree with that concept. The earlier you start with that conditioning, the better off he'll be when he retires. So that'll be just a lifelong set of rules that the dog lives by, and there'll be no difference. dog doesn't know that he's retired. There's, you know, just they don't have that concept. He just knows that there's a, a missed trip yeah. 
uh, yeah. an opportunity to, yeah. to perform. You know, so uh, having another dog there is not that big of a deal in their condition to be around other dogs and accept yeah. that. So that's not the biggest stressor. Uh, the bigger stressor would be uh, just left alone and uh, not yeah. taken to work. So you, you may have to deal with some of that uh, separation anxiety with some of the dogs. Some of them don't care about it as much as others. This one I got here, he's uh, the retired dog that's here with me now. He's perfectly fine by himself. It's not a big deal. He doesn't try to tear up anything. But I don't let him run the house. So if I leave, uh, yeah. he's crated yeah. up. So it's just a safeguard. And it's safer for him, too. That's right. So it's the safeguard for both of us. So he doesn't have to worry about getting into trouble over you know, eating something that he shouldn't or yeah. uh, grabbing a corner of a couch and deciding to play tug of war yeah. with it, that sort of thing. We talked a little bit about that, and then uh, you know some of it's kind of self-explanatory. I think uh, there's it's a department decision if if they're going to allow you if you decide for some reason you don't want to keep the dog if you're, they're going to allow you to adopt it out or find another you know former dog handler to have it. But I think you know it goes without saying that those should be well thought out, reasoned approaches on a case by case basis for each dog because some dogs could easily go be a pet and you wouldn't have to worry too much about them. Although every dog that, you know, has been a patrol dog, I think you need to respect, you know, what you, what the training has gotten into the dog. And then some of those dogs just aren't ever going to be good pets. They're just, uh, they're bred to work and they're going to have a little bit different lifestyle and in, in their retirement. So I think, uh, obviously that's a case by case basis. And, um, my experience has been that most every handler has always just kept their dogs. Yeah, I think that's the majority of us will keep the dogs even when they are a pain in the ass yeah. for us. Uh, I complain about <laughs> this one. <laughs> you know why he is like he is. He's just, he's kind of a, a nut job sometimes. You know, he just has a lot of energy even though he's old and can't jump and run like he used to. His mind still runs yeah. just exactly yeah. the way it always has. You know, so he's like the rest of us. We, we don't realize we're as old as we are until we pull something and realize <laughs> we're not the young guys that we are. Yep. Used to be. So I guess on that note, that's a good transition talking about old guys and pulling stuff. Uh, now you're, you've retired and uh, I've entered for, if people uh, are familiar with what a drop program is, it's a deferred retirement where basically uh, if, if you're lucky enough to have it in your agency, basically you uh, retire and then you stay on as a contract employee for different agencies. It's, I've heard three years, five years, 10 years. So you can stay on as a contract employee and just kind of save your retirement for a few years and then uh, retire with a little bit of a nest egg. And I, I know you did that too down there. So I've got a few years left to go if I decide to do all the time, but it's nice, nice having that option. I've locked into my retirement. It was a lot of thought before I actually decided, all right, here's how many, after 32 years, I'm ready to sign these papers and, and move on to the next chapter. I know you were there 33 years total, and now you're out the door. So I kind of wanted to spend a little bit of time, you know, first talk about what was the thought process before you actually signed the papers and said, I'm ready to, I know you had a drop program too, but at least with our department, I think yours and most every place that when you sign the paper saying, I'm ready to drop, it's a contract and now you've got a clock running and you can't just say, "Never mind, I want to stay on longer. What was your thought process before you even got to there to, to say, all right, I'm, I'm really ready to go. i tell you my first thought when I was eligible to go into the drop and actually retire, and it 
really hit me that, you know, I'm to the age now that I can retire where all this time go. My first memory was sitting down with a sergeant when I was 22 or 23 years old over a cup of coffee. This guy was probably 50 and he had all his ducks in a row. He was ready to retire. And he started talking to me about retirement. I didn't have a clue what he was talking about. Didn't have a clue about money, about how to save it, how to invest it, how to do any of this stuff. And he's rambling on. And all I can think about is how to get out of there, take a 10 and go start <laughs> humping calls and start getting it. Didn't care about it. Wasn't interested in it. I wish to God I had more time to spend with him when I was younger just to make sure. better decisions financially when I was younger. That was the first thought. I was like, man, you know, I probably could have made more, even more money. Because at that point, it's strictly economics when you get to that age. Because you're looking at, man, you know, shit, I could have made a little bit more money if I'd have done this or that or the other. So if you're younger, start seriously looking at the money aspect of it because you're going to appreciate the fact that you did exactly. when you get to be exactly. 50, 55. But, you know, I've been retired a year and a half now. And that was the first thought. So then you start looking at, okay, how do I go about getting into the drop program? And, and they make it super easy for you. I mean, the contacts and the people that you work with, if you have that type of program, they're just going to just cater to you. They're going to explain it to you. Any questions that you have, it's no big deal. They're going to walk you straight through it and they're going to just put it out there. That's a great point because when I went to do my paperwork, I thought, well, this is going to be an afternoon. I'll never get back. I was there for 15 minutes total. And then I was off the yep. job technically, you know. <laughs> I couldn't yep. believe how fast it went. I was like, wow, this is And they explained this it to you quick. in terms that you can understand. And I knew we had a drop. I wasn't real clear on what it was. And essentially, if you just break it down into simple terms, it's just a big savings account. You're officially retired, so you get a retirement check. And you're still on the clock and getting a paycheck. The only difference is they don't send yep. you the retirement check. They send the, the bank the retirement check. So that retirement check is your drop money. They're just putting it in savings. And you, you don't have access to it until you actually leave. That's right. So uh, mine's at 6.5%, and so it's earning money. We have an advantage called the PLOP. So they would... Uh, do some sophisticated fuzzy math and figure out what you're worth and then they give you a percentage of that and you could up to 20% of what your value is. They would take it out of that retirement and uh, just plop a large amount of money into that to get it kick-started on the earning interest. Wow. Now, the deal is it would drop your pay uh, based on the maximum amount. They sure. you did up to the maximum, which is 20%. And uh, they would deduct that from your monthly paycheck. But the return on that would always be more than what the what sure. deducted. So you're starting your uh, your your interest earning account with a lot of money into it. So that's always an option for us. Some people don't have yeah. that, but they're going to explain it to you. That's the great thing about it. So if you're financially set and you see those numbers and you can do it, I encourage everybody to retire as soon as they can, just as long as you can financially afford it. If you're a young man, I mean. Our guys could go, if you if you got a job in Lakeland at 20 years old and you did 25 years, you could get out of there at 45 years old. If you want to go get another job, go get another job. You know, you can start, yeah. you start drawing your retirement check at 45 years old. So I guess the, the bigger thing from what you just said that I would encourage everybody to do, like our agency's always been very good 
either through our state retirement or even just our agency about uh, one of the um, in-service classes you can do as a retirement. It's a full-day retirement class. I did it five or six years ago, and I should have done it 15 years ago. So start thinking about retirement because as you said, as I said, and everybody who's in our position will tell everybody, it goes by really fast. So, I mean, and I've always, I've had some friends who are really good about savings. I've been pretty good about it. But boy, when, when you get to this point where you're signing the line, everybody thinks, oh, I should have done a little bit better. So start thinking about the retirement. You know, the first few years you're buying a house, you're having kids, you're doing all that stuff. But right around then is when you really need to start thinking, you know, in 20 years, and it's going to go by quick, I need to be ready to, to walk out the door and look at all these options between drop and flop and what your retirement is, uh, what your health care benefits are, if your agency has any. But being well-versed in those when you're very new on the job is going to pay huge dividends when you've put your entire adult life into this same agency. So I just would encourage you, you know, if you're a newer officer or conversely, if you're thinking of, I'm going to go from agency A to agency B, don't just look at the working conditions and if you're going to get a take-home car and how far you drive to work and look very heavily at their retirement. That should be a huge uh, part of your contemplation as to, you know, do you want to leave your agency to another one if their retirement is, is not as good? Yeah, the retirement uh, benefits as well. So if there's any benefits to go along with that retirement money, you want to yeah. look at that as well because those are important to you. It might be a little bit uh, more money to move to an agency on the hourly rate or something. If that appeals to you and that's the only reason you're leaving, it might be a deficiency on the back end where you're, you're not getting as good yeah. retirement and the benefits might be a little bit less. So uh, that might not play into your best interest if you're going to be there long term so there's a lot of things to consider when you start looking at that stuff so plan what exactly yeah so yeah you know then the other thing is your your mental and physical health so you've got to uh, have something to do you know we have hits and backtrack that keeps me busy and it's, yeah you know, going to the gym three or four times a week uh, always staying active so you know the physical stuff takes care of the mental stuff and then mental stuff uh, you know stay busy with the with the canine world so that keeps me active yeah and so that was i guess the next question you you're financially good you've you know you've done all that planning you actually leave that so you have your going away party or whatever it is and then you leave what was it like waking up that first morning and being unemployed it was kind of great after about first five minutes, realized it was my work day and I didn't have to work. <laughs> what really hit me was the day that they took me home. So it was uh, like the last day of the year. It was the 31st. Hardly anybody in the office, few admin people. And uh, I had already turned in my gear. So I was essentially just walking around, spending some time. And uh, one, of the, one of my friends was a captain. He's like, you need a ride home? I was like, yeah, sure. Give me a ride home. So had a few trinkets, had my gun and my retired badge and stuff, mm-hmm. and full of stuff. And uh, all, everything's gone. Nothing there. No, yeah. no car, nothing. And uh, drops me off in front of the house and says, I'll see you later, buddy. And that was <laughs> it. You know, I, yeah. On the ride home, it almost felt like you had been fired. You know, because you got yeah. nothing, no radios, no nothing. <laughs> and it's like yeah, the weirdest feeling yeah. in the world. Knowing you're not fired, you're just retired, but there's a separation point there that still feels sure. the same. 
and you're like, man, this is just so weird. I feel a little down about it. I just don't know how how I'm supposed to feel. I guess it's sure. just normal. And, uh, you know, I go in, I just kind of sit around going, that's it. It's over, man. Where did, <laughs> where did 33 years go in that span of time? It felt like a blink of an eye. But uh, the next day I woke up and I was like, man, my shift's working. But guess what? You don't have to. I'm not. <laughs> yeah. And then day after day, it was just, like, you know, a smile on your face going, shit, I get a monthly check. Man, I feel like, you know, this just the greatest thing. You know, you get paid not having to go in. And, of course, you know, 2020, COVID hits. So, yeah, I was like, "What? What perfect timing! I don't have to be out there and uh, risking catching that and being involved in all the stuff that was going down and all the negativity." Yeah. It, it just seemed like it, I hit it at the perfect time. Just to, yeah, your timing was good. Yeah, it just it worked out great for me. Uh, I kind of wanted to travel more in 2020, and uh, I haven't done a lot in 21. A little bit more, but uh, you know the the conditions with travel and COVID. Yeah. Got yeah. that down, but it's okay. I mean, it's not a big deal, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's retirement is great. I, I tell everybody that, uh, you know, you won't miss the circus, but you'll miss the clowns. And I do, I miss <laughs> I work with, I just don't miss that circus that they're involved in. So how long did it take you? Cause like I went from, you know, being a very busy patrol canine officer, that, you know, we're, worked with our SWAT guys all the time and, and we we did a lot of searches and found a lot of bad guys. I went from that to being a bomb dog handler, which is a great job, but not nearly as exciting. And it took me a little while when I'd hear a good caper going on with the, you know, an area search with, you know, somebody shots fired and stuff like that. It took me a little while to, to really think, oh man, I wish I was there. Now I listen to it with an interest, but, you know, I, I'm done with it, been there, done that. How long did it take you to kind of get out of that mindset if you heard you know something going on in lakeland thinking oh man i wish i was there helping out the guys oh i still do it you know there's things that'll yeah. up on facebook that they'll put out alerts from the department that there's something going on and i get text messages from the guys that you know there's something going on and all the new guys will text me that oh i just made this catch because i always want to hear what they've got to say with sure. new dogs and you know if they've got a problem they'll text me and ask me or call me and ask me uh, you know, how they would, uh, fix it. And so I'm able to help them in that way. But, yeah. Whenever I hear it, I'm like, man, and still miss the job. So it, yeah, there's always yeah. that, uh, that, that void that I don't think you'll ever get past. You know, there's all yeah. that, that feeling like, yeah, yeah. Before yeah. Do. but then you start realizing, you know, that's a young man's sport it really is. Yep. Yeah. Any uh, other words of advice that you maybe something you wish you would have done different that you, know, you can't change now, but you wish we maybe would have done different? Uh, probably none that I want to put on this podcast. So. <laughs> yeah. uh, Enough said. I get that. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's for a whole different kind of podcast. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, well, Jeff, I appreciate it. I think uh, this has been good information. I mean, if you're if you're a younger dog handler, you're going to have a retired dog at some point, probably sooner rather than later. And if you're lucky like uh, Jeff and where I'm getting real close to, and you know, a lot of us, uh, you're going to be able to retire as a dog handler, and and uh, that time goes by fast. So, hopefully, this just gives uh, some food for thought to some of the handlers thinking about what they want to do uh, for their next chapter. So, I appreciate the time, Jeff, and uh, I know you've got plenty of it, but I still appreciate. You 
jumping on. Yeah, thanks for having me, Jeff. We'll talk again soon. And again, if uh, you're interested in uh, HITS uh, in Orlando in 2021, go to net, and uh, I'll put uh, Jeff's email address and my email address uh, in the show notes. You can always reach out to either one of us. We uh, like talking to people who are listening to the podcast, answering any questions you have. And if it's a real pertinent question, Jeff and I'll get back on and, and do a question and answer show. So thanks again, Jeff. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Jeff.